Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and welcome to the podcast, right? It's like, this isn't the Halloween episode. You sound sad. Do I? Well, you sounded sad. <clears throat> How do I sound now? Awake. Yeah, but happy too? Yeah, man. I'm this not is, sad. Uh, this is one of our two favorite shows of the year. Mm-hmm. And we are celebrating, we're drinking a little wine. A little bit. How about that? Yeah. You never know what's going to happen in here. No. Actually, you usually know what happens in here, which is no wine. Yeah, and gaminess. It gets gamey yes, in here. Right. Although they fixed the AC. Yeah. And by fix the AC, we realized that they turned it on for the first time in here. Yeah, they're like, your flap's closed. Right. Oh, dead raccoon. There's your problem. Yeah. If only. It's usually a dead raccoon. That's right. You know? Uh, Well, since we said dead raccoon, that can mean (laughs) nothing else than the fact that this is our 2015 holiday extravaganza. Woohoo! I don't remember what we called it. Uh, I think we've called it something different every year. Yeah. I'm saying, like, I don't know what we called this one yet. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not bad. Yeah. But here we are in November. Sure. But uh, we have that Christmas spirit. It's well within us. It is alive in our bones. Mm-hmm. And uh, we cobble together. We're, it's. I thought it was starting to get thin. Really? But um, when you start digging around, you you can find plenty of good holiday content. Yeah. You know? Oh, I see what you mean. As far as like finding something to fill an hour. Yeah. And um, we didn't know... We couldn't remember because we've done, this is like, I think the fifth one that we've done. Okay. We couldn't remember which ones we've done. Yeah. You what put together that document, covered. which really helped. Went back and listened to all of them and wow. it's like, okay, we covered this. We co- Did we cover that? Yeah. There were several things that I was surprised to find that we had covered. Surprised and dismayed because we can't do them again. Nope. They're done. But um, we have put together a blog post on stuffyoushouldknow.com called The Christmas Suite. And it has all of our Christmas specials. Wow. So you can go listen to them all in one place. Yes. And as we do every year, we would like to encourage you to gather the family. Sure. Build a fire. If you have a fireplace. Yeah. Not not just on your hardwood floor. Or not out of your hardwood floor. Yeah. Unless you're into that. It's a free country. Even still, think it through. You probably don't want to do that, you know? (laughs) No. So gather the family around. uh, Light the Yule log. uh, Pour up some hot buttered rum or whatever your... uh, Boozy eggnog. Or your non-alcoholic drink of choice. Sure. Sparkling cider. Everybody loves that. Yeah. Cold and, duck. And then listen, <laughs> cold duck. Yeah. Don't you remember cold duck? What's that? It was like a non-alcoholic sparkling wine. Called cold duck? Yeah. I grew up on it. Weird. Yeah. Never I heard guess of it. it is a little weird now that you think about it. Cold duck. It just doesn't sound like something you'd want to drink. No. Yeah. If you don't have a choice, that's what you drink. <laughs> All right. Support some cold duck. <laughs> And uh, settle in and let us take you on a Christmas journey through the ages. And thanks to Jerry, by the way, as always, and uh, our friend. John Begin. Yeah. He did the jingles for this one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks for always gussying this thing up and putting us in the Christmas mood. Yeah, way to go, Jerry. All right. Let's get to it. Chuck, yes. you were raised in the United States of America? That is true. I was too. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, Toledo's in the U.S. Toledo is in the U.S. Still? For now. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were kind of raised, even though you were in the South, I was in the North, the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Our Christmas customs were fairly similar. Sure. Well, we're children in the 70s, essentially. 
Yes, for sure. So um, we were raised with macrame Christmas. <laughs> oh, man, you and the macrame. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you go around the world, though, Christmas is celebrated all throughout the world among Christians, non-Christians, secular, humanists, everybody. Uh-huh. Not everybody. A lot of people celebrate Christmas. Yes. But since it's in different parts of the world, um, there's different traditions. I bet even Anton LaVey has <laughs> given and gotten a Christmas gift. Yeah. He was like, this doesn't mean anything. All right. It's a studded leather collar. I'll take it. Right. <laughs> He's like, you have to open it upside down. <laughs> uh, that's right. It is celebrated all over the world. And here in segment one are a few uh, customs around the world yeah. that I had never heard of. And most of them are pretty interesting. <laughs> most of them? I thought, well, yeah. Okay. Actually, they were all pretty good. I thought they were great. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Let's start out. Uh, maybe let's get not in the Wayback Machine, but just our uh, space travel pod. And let's go to India. Isn't it nice? It is. It's balmy. It is, but it's lovely. The people are great. Sure. And there's a lot of them. And the food is amazing. Oh, man. Doesn't agree with my stomach, but I'll still eat it. Really? You have trouble with Indian food? Sure. I lament that for you. Yeah. Indian food is... It's tied for first with Japanese food, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's good stuff. So uh, you'll notice, Chuck, that there are 25 million Christians here celebrating... Um, Christmas in yeah, India. I can tell. Significant amount of people. And the thing is, they, they don't have any um, the customary type of tree that you yeah. decorate. Sure. So they use mango and orange trees. That's right. You know? So if you look around, you're going to see decorated trees on the streets. You're going to see, if you go into a house, you're going to even see the leaves of these trees used as decorations. Yeah. Yeah. It's like garland, basically. Yeah. And by orange, I meant banana, of course. Oh, did you say orange? Yeah, that was my customary holiday slip-up. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, so India's great. Everyone, I love the decorations. They're getting in the spirit, even though they don't have the... Because, you know, it all, remember we covered it. Christmas trees start out in Germany. Oh, yeah, the um, Tenenbaum. Yeah, they're lousy with fir trees. Ach, and leaving the Tenenbaum. <laughs> but, uh, so we're going to leave India for now, and let's travel over... In our space pod? Uh-huh. Okay, to good. To one of your favorite places, Japan. Wonderful. But they have a very unusual, to me, Christmas tradition. Oh, it's unusual across the board to of, everybody. Of uh, eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. Kentucky Fried Chicken is the traditional Christmas Eve dinner for Japan. Crazy. And it has been since about 1974. So apparently there are some American travelers who were stranded or visiting Japan. That's what it was. <laughs> they were stranded? <laughs> they weren't stranded. It was, um, they were visiting Japan and uh, around Christmas, and they went to try to find a turkey dinner. Yeah. They don't have turkey in Japan. Oh, really? You got to be beyond rich to find turkey in Japan, basically. Wow. So it just so happened the KFC had been there for a couple of years. It had just broken through starting about 1970. There was a big expo. Yeah, it wasn't called KFC back then. It was Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right, right. Um, and they, uh, they, these, I guess these travelers alerted KFC that they had decided to go with Kentucky Fried Chicken instead of a turkey dinner. And uh-huh. Colonel Sanders went, hmm. Sounds, I say, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> was that your Norm MacDonald or your Daryl Hammond? It was my Norm MacDonald. That's not bad. Yeah. Um, if it was Daryl Hammond, terrible. Yeah. But uh, so Kentucky Fried Chicken decided to capitalize on this. And starting in 1974, they created the Kentucky for Christmas campaign. Mm-hmm. And basically established a tradition among Japanese people that you go line up on Christmas Eve day 
and wait in line around the block yeah. for your turn to buy your pre-ordered bucket of KFC, uh-huh. your cake, yep. and your bottle of champagne. Yeah. And uh, I think it's champagne now, but back then it was wine. Yes. Was it started right? out as wine. Okay. And then they got classy. That's right. And uh, to th- today, uh, more than 240 uh, buckets or barrels. 240,000. What did I say? 240? Yeah, you stopped at 240. No, that was just at the main location. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> 240,000 barrels or buckets of chicken are sold, uh, which is apparently five to ten times the normal monthly sales. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a big deal. And these Christmas cakes are a big deal there, too. Yeah, and they dress um, Colonel Sanders up as Santa Claus out front. It's, uh-huh. it's a huge deal. It's wonderful. It is. So uh, Kentucky for Christmas. Kentucky for Christmas. All right. Let's get back in the space pod. All right. Let's jet on up to Finland. Where the people are nice and the taxes are heavy. <laughs> but the health care, not so bad. Well, yeah, you pay like half your money in taxes, but it's the best place in the world to live. And I'd take that. It's one of the few places on earth where people live that you can just see a reindeer walking around. Yeah, exactly. How's that for Christmas spirit? And also, Chuck, have you ever seen Rare Exports? No. You haven't seen Rare Exports, the Christmas horror movie? No. Oh, man. Go see it. It's set in Finland. It's awesome. Really? It's actually a Finnish movie with subtitles, and it's it's a Christmas classic. Is it what year? 2012. Oh, okay. Yeah. But already a classic. Yes. (laughs) So in Finland, um, despite their uh, penchant for enjoying the holidays, they have a little darker side, you might uh, say, to Christmas because... They visit the graves of their ancestors and uh, and they put candles on the graves. It's very nice. I guess not exactly dark. If they like dug them up and cut well, <laughs> their heads off or something after their first Christmas underground. I'm not saying. Yeah, it's not dark necessarily because it is a tribute to their uh, deceased loved ones. Yeah. But it is unusual to me on Christmas to visit the cemetery. Sure, is what I'm saying. But but apparently cemeteries because when they visit they light candles for their deceased loved yeah. ones. And even people who don't aren't near their deceased loved ones they'll still like light a candle. So like by the time midnight rolls around on Christmas Eve. It's Houses a- are burning down all over the country. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It's a- apparently like, quite a sight to behold. It is. And not only that, but at home, uh, and this is kind of sweet, they don't, mm-hmm. they sleep on the floor <laughs> to, to leave their beds. You know how we leave cookies out for Santa? Yeah. They leave their beds open for the uh, ghostly spirits of their ancestors. Right, yeah. To sleep in. To sleep in for like, the night. Here, you take the bed, I'll take the floor. And apparently, it's the same with saunas, too. So most families have their own sauna in Finland. Sauna? And- Sauna. Okay. And after sunset, that becomes, they leave that alone for their dead ancestors to enjoy as well. Yeah, but before sunset, it's naked family party time in the sauna. Yeah. Which is not gross or dirty. It's just how it is in Finland. Sure. Uh, all right. What are you going to sauna in? Like a bathing suit? That's weird. Well, that's what I do, but I'm at the YMCA. I'd get arrested. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah, you would. Uh, Venezuela. Let's hop in our little space pod and travel over to Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, so we're in Caracas, and on Christmas Eve, uh, the children do a kind of an odd thing. They tie a piece of string mm-hmm. to their big toe, and then they run the string out of their window and hang it down the side of their home. So far, so weird. Yeah, which is a little strange. Then the following morning, uh, they go to early, uh, early morning mass. They, they close, don't. Other well, people do. Sure. Grown-ups do. Okay. And uh, they close off the streets until 8 a.m. so people can roller skate <laughs> to mass. <laughs> right. And if they see any of these strings still hanging, 
They tug on the string, which supposedly, or I guess logically, right. would tug on the big toe of the child. And wakes the kid up for Christmas morning. Pretty neat. A, a passing by roller skater tugs on the string <laughs> to wake you up for Christmas morning. Yeah. Pretty that, awesome. That's a pretty cool tradition. And finally, yeah. we will travel from Caracas, Venezuela over to Sweden. <laughs> Really, we should have ordered this differently. We could have really saved some space gas. Yeah, but Sky Miles. Oh, yeah. You know? We are racking them up. <laughs> totally. So we're in Sweden now, and uh, this is my favorite one, I think. In 1966, a 13-meter tall goat of straw was erected in the town square of uh, Gavel. Yeah, it's called the Gavelbakken. Gavelbakken? Uh-huh. At the stroke of midnight uh, that first year... Uh, some kid thought it would be funny if he burned it down. <laughs> and now it's a tradition. Yeah, it is. And <laughs> so it's not a tradition in, like Wicker Man where the town gathers to set the man on fire or the goat on fire. Right. The town does not want the goat to be set on no, fire. They don't. Instead, um, the town hires security guards. Apparently one year it was particularly cold and all the guards went in to get warm at once. And when they did, vandals struck burned it down. Yeah. Um, they fireproofed the stuff with a subs or the goat with a with a substance that they used to fireproof airplanes. Wow. Yeah. And people still managed to burn this down. Apparently uh, between 1966 and 2011, according to our friends Honkiat, uh, where we got this article by the way. Yeah. Um, it's been burned down 25 times. Yeah, it's, it's what about 50% or so. Oh yeah, not easily. a bad rate, not a bad burn rate. If you're a vandal if you're a town elder, that's terrible, right? <laughs> so uh, that's segment one. And thanks to who? Our friends at Honky Cat? Honky Cat. Oh, Honky Cat for that. Not great. Honky Cat. Okay. Yeah. That's Elton John's subsite. <laughs> yeah. So, Chuck, that was a nice little interlude. Yeah. Um, have you ever been to New York? I know you've been to New York. <laughs> <laughs> but no, at Christmas time. I've been, okay. Do you remember the time we were the guests of, uh, uh, like, Discovery for a Christmas party? Yes, at the Campbell apartment at Grand Central Station. Yeah. One of the great uh, corporate parties I've ever been to. There was a pit bull there. Yep. A parolee who owned the pit bull. Yep, we drank martinis. Yes, we did. Lots of them, or I did. I don't know. Would you have whiskey or did you have martinis? I think I had martinis. Yeah, it was good. We were hot shots back then. We were hot. We were up and coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at this, at the uh, during that, that stay, I walked around and visited sh- like shop windows. Yeah. Uh, Sacks, yeah. I think I hit Barney's, uh-huh. and I, I, at the time, I'm like, I'm so clever. What a cool thing to do! <laughs> what I didn't I realize is I was engaging in like about a 150 year old tradition, yeah, of traveling to New York to see these storefront windows, the the Christmas window displays. It's actually a really old ritual. That's right, and this uh, story is called well, not really old, but kind of old. <laughs> the story is called The History of Department Store Holiday Window Displays by Victoria Lewis. And I am not ashamed to admit that I had never considered the term department store and what that meant until I read this. And I was like, wait a minute. What is the, the there's departments as in yeah. the boys department, the ladies department, the sports department. Oh, Chuck. I had just never dawned on me what that meant. You just took it as like, that's what it is. I don't know. On its face. You know how it's one of those no, things. I understand what you mean. Sure. For sure. You know, we're in an old department store right now. Yeah, Sears. Yeah. Absolutely. Had terrible window displays. It did. So here's the fascinating uh, history of department store window displays, which I I really enjoyed this article. Yeah. What was it from? Uh, Well, initially, it it goes back to the Industrial Revolution, the late 1800s, 
Um, and like anything, it's usually some weird innovation that leads to something else. And in right. this case, it was the innovation was uh, plate glass windows. Yeah, up to that point, up to the Industrial Revolution, um, shopkeepers just kept their wares behind plywood and no one could see it. You know, <laughs> so once they figured out plate glass windows, they were like, "This is much better." And so the passersby on the street thought it was much better as well. Yeah, because that's literally where the term window shopping comes from. Yeah. And they said we can have these great window displays where people on the street uh, could walk by and and fantasize if they don't have money about buying this stuff. Thanks to our <laughs> enormous see-through glass. That's right. Um, the best kind of glass. And apparently, it was. Um, Mr. Macy, Mr. Macy had a great name, Roland Hussey Macy. That's right. Uh, who did not live up to his name. He was quite a prude, frankly. <laughs> and Roland Hussey Macy um, opened Macy's, he tried four times. So to I open Macy's? Yeah. Wow. And tried and failed, I should say. The, the fifth time, I think, on 6th Avenue between 13th and 14th Street in 1858, Roland Macy opened his store with opening day sales totaling eleven dollars and six cents. Wow! Which you're like, oh well, it's eighteen fifty eight. Sure, that's a, a three three million dollars today. Two hundred and eighty <laughs> bucks. Yeah. Not good for a department store. So back in the day, these stores were what are called dry goods stores. Yeah, where you could find everything that wasn't wet. Yeah. Um, you know, chaps, a lasso, uh, stuff that wasn't wet like that. Wheat, wheat flour. Wheat flour. Sure. All this stuff, and and these were the the progenitors of dry of uh, department stores. Yeah, and a lot of them grew out of dry goods stores into department stores. And over time, um, they got savvier and savvier. And again, R. H. Macy was one of the first to get super duper savvy, and he was apparently the first to put up these elaborate displays around Christmas time. Not only that, my friend, he was the first in 1862 to feature an in-store Santa that children could come and annoy. Yes, and if you want to know more about the life of an in-store Santa, you should listen to last year's, because yeah. we went into that in depth. Absolutely. So in 1874, he says, I'm going to step it up a notch. we got this plate glass, so I'm going to create a window display, uh, porcelain dolls from around the world, and uh, sort of weirdly, scenes from Harriet Beecher Stowe's great book, Uncle Tom's Cabin. It's all the rage. Yeah, it just seemed an odd choice for the holidays. All the rage. But I'm not going to second guess it because it worked. It would be like making a Star Wars special, holiday special at the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, agreed. All the rage. So it really caught on by the early 1900s. Um, all the big retailers were doing it in uh, New York, Chicago, uh, all the major cities. And um, window shopping was a legit- uh, legitimate thing at this point. Yeah, thanks to things like, um, again, the plate glass window. Yeah. People actually putting up displays worth seeing. Sure. And then later on, electrical lighting. Yeah. So that you could see these things long after the store had closed. And that attracted people to the, the displays just for dis- the display's sake themselves. It made them a destination so that 150 years later... Yokels like you and me could be walking around New York saying, "Yeah, oh, I'm going to go check out the uh, Saks Fifth Avenue window. It looks like real snow. <laughs> yeah. uh, in 1938, uh, Lord and Taylor were the first to um, actually not even worry about showing merchandise in the window yeah. and just say, you know what, this is something cool looking that will attract people to our window. Well, the, well, the cool looking thing they, they did, too, at the time, it must have been mind blowing. You have to put yourself in their shoes. But it was automated bells. That moved in time to a recording of yeah. the sound of bells playing. How about that? Which sounds about as primitive as a monkey turning a crank. Right. But it actually 
I mean, that must have been pretty mind-blowing at the time. We're talking 1938. Agreed. And even before that, I think it was, um, I think it was Neiman Marcus in Dallas used Freon in air-conditioned copper tubings uh, to basically create frosted trees yeah. in their window display. That That's what they call, for people who read books on airplanes, a game changer. And not to be outdone, in, 19, uh, in the 1950s, Washington, D.C.'s Woodward and Lothrop. Which I've not heard of. Have you? No, never. But it totally sounds like either a law firm or a department store. <laughs> it does. Uh, and they put live penguins <laughs> in the display. Uh, this is clearly before animal rights activists had sure. a say in things. They're like, how can we make our window display cruel? <laughs> uh, and over the years, many famous artists have even been involved, uh, including Andy Warhol, uh, Murray Sendak, Salvador Dali, and Jasper Johns. Uh, imagine it pays pretty good if you hire one of those artists. Or maybe they were up and coming at I the time. I think they were up and coming, actually. Uh, I think they also hire famous people to come in. Oh, they definitely do sometimes, yeah. for sure. Yeah, you're right. Um, so apparently uh, today... It's spread around. It's not just New York. And it's in London, too. It started in London in 1909, thanks to an American. Sure. The guy who started or who worked at Marshall Fields and then came and started Selfridges. Right. Um, but today, if you ask Lord and Taylor, about 250,000 people pass their holiday window display every day. That's crazy. And between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they'll attract 8 million shoppers to their store. Yeah. New York is great and it's awesome during the holiday season because you, you you can go broke but you can also not spend a dime and just walk around and yeah. look at all the cool junk yes new york i love you and you're giving me chills <laughs> all right uh moving on to the next segment Josh, now we're moving on to uh, something, believe it or not, I have never even tasted in my life. Really? Never tasted fruitcake. I would be even more incredulous if I hadn't either. Right. Have you? That's what I'm saying. I haven't. Oh, okay. I I was trying to make sense of all that. (laughs) Sorry. So neither one. Jerry, have you ever had fruitcake? Wow. Jerry says no. Noel's like in the window with a fruitcake (laughs) in his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I got a fruitcake in my pocket. All right, so fruitcake is uh, it's famous for one thing, which Sucking. is yeah, which is being a maligned uh, food product that is generally made fun of as like a brick or a concrete block or a doorstop. So much so that there's a town called Manitou Springs, Colorado, that in the, at the beginning of January holds the Great Fruitcake Toss every year. Yeah. And you throw a fruitcake as far as you can. It's kind of like pumpkin chunking, but with fruitcakes, basically. You know what they should have, though, is on the landing side, they should have plate glass. <laughs> right. And just see how much the fruitcake, like maybe layers of plate glass. Sure. And see how many layers it can smash. Yeah. Like that one ice-breaking scene in yeah. um, Karate Kid 2. Exactly. So um, the fruitcake, it's not much loved. Not a lot of people like it. The people who do like it are just trying to be ironic, by the way. Or elderly. Yeah. And being genuine. Maybe. Yeah. I can't tell. (laughs) Elderly people, it's tough to pin down whether they're really secretly being ironic, (laughs) and it's just a big big performance piece. But um, 
it's it's it is in and of itself ironic that fruitcake would be so maligned because it started out as a distinct luxury item for sure. Because the stuff you find in fruitcake today, that you're like, oh, what is this terrible stuff? Is is actually an assemblage of if you go a thousand, twelve, fifteen hundred years back in history. Yeah. You will find like these are the most sought after items on the planet. Sure. Spices, nuts, um, fruit, fruit, cake, ginger, <laughs> all this stuff coming together to create um, some very rich delicacies. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it did not begin as a cake, though. Supposedly in ancient Rome, they used pomegranate seeds, pine nuts, and raisins. Mm-hmm. And then they folded that in some barley mash. This is before ovens. They didn't really bake it into a cake at this point. Was it before ovens, though? I took issue with that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think they had uh, they had bread back then. People have been baking bread, remember, to like, use as a starter for beer. Sure. For thousands of years by then. All right, so official issue taken. Ovens. All right. Sure. We'll look that up. Okay. Uh, and then uh, they started adding other spices in the Middle East. Um, honey, ginger was a big deal in the Middle East before it spread to Europe. One of my favorite <laughs> things in the world. Ginger? Fresh ginger. Oh, yeah. Sure. Love it. Get your hands on some good fresh ginger. You're like, this is good. I do I do shots of it. Oh, yeah. Hot stuff. For health? Yeah. Health and wellness. Do you drink it hot or cool and it's like hot spicy? Yeah. I mean, have you ever done a ginger uh-huh. shot? Yeah, sure. It's super hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll burn your throat. So fair warning okay. to all you juicers out there. But if you're a juicer, you're way on the ginger tip. This is nothing new to you. <laughs> this is the hippest Christmas special we've ever recorded. Anyway, I love ginger. And they loved it in the Middle East and eventually spread to Europe uh, in the 15th century. Then they added uh, some butter, some yep. sugar. Sure. They said, we have a, a lumpy, dense cake on our hands, people. We, we definitely have ovens. Right. So we're going to bake them. <laughs> bake it. Yeah. And uh, now there's a, apparently a couple of bakeries in the United States. One here, right here in Claxton, Georgia. You knew that, right? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Claxton fruitcakes are huge. Yeah. One of the big two, right? Yeah. The other one is in uh, Corsicana, Texas. Um, that's Collins Street Bakery. And if you have a fruitcake, look at the label. I guarantee you it's one of those two. I'm going to start giving them for gifts. Ironically or sincerely? Both. Nice. Because it's all in how you take it. Sure it is. Someone might say, that's pretty funny, Chuck. Yeah. And someone might say, this is delicious, my friend. Yeah. And then you go... You are on my nice list. <laughs> That's right. Uh, moving on, what is another Christmas food that sugar we can talk plums. about? This one was kind of surprising to me. So sugar plums have nothing to do with plums, it turns out. And there's a lot of um, confusion, I guess, in the fact that it uses the word plums. So you would think, well, a sugar plum is a sweet plum. And food historians say there may actually have been some sort of fruit-producing shrub yeah. that produced something that you would call a sugar plum, a plum-like fruit that was very sweet. Sure. We don't have any evidence of it. It's all conjecture, apparently. Right. But sugar plums themselves were candies. They were sugar balls surrounded with nuts or spices or seeds or some combination of that. And... They had nothing to do with plums. Plums never made an appearance in the actual sugar plum. Yeah, and apparently uh, a lot of dried fruit is called plum. Right. Which I didn't know. And That's where the confusion comes from. Yeah, and plum pudding in England apparently doesn't even have plums in it. No, it can have like raisins, currants, all that kind of stuff. 
Doesn't have any plums whatsoever. They're plum-like. It's just from, I think, about the 17th century on, yeah. plum became a widely used term to describe certain kinds of candies, yeah. certain kinds of sweet desserts. That dance in your head. And bribes, I, I read. Oh, really? Yes. So if somebody gives you a bribe, you're like, that's quite a plum. Right. I can put it in my fruitcake. Right. Or that's a plum job. Sure. It's something like super sweet, something great. Like you. Yeah, or a bribe. <laughs> I'm asking for a bribe right now. Oh, okay. I wasn't picking up on that. <laughs> I'll slide this $5 bill Thank across you. the table. Thanks. Uh, gingerbread is one of my favorite things. Oh, you like gingerbread? Love it. I meant to tell you this in the um, one of the fairy tales episodes. Hansel and Gretel uh-huh. is based partly in fact. How you know so? that? There's a woman named Katerina Schrederin, uh-huh. who in 1618, she was a renowned gingerbread baker. She was so good that a local rival tried to marry her to get her to quit baking and undermining him. Wow. She refuses advances. He accused her of witchcraft. The town came and burned her alive. Holy cow, that's true? Yes, it is true. And they think that she became the basis of the witch in the Hansel and Gretel story. Wow. Yeah. How about that? But she was really good at at creating gingerbread. And she was in Germany, which is the whole point of what I was just saying. That's right, because it started in Germany like so many Christmas-y things. Uh, sweet, spicy cookies, cakes, breads, ginger-flavored, which you know is one of my favorite things. <laughs> like you said. I don't pick up on it a ton. in Gingerbread? Like, not as much. No, the molasses definitely dominates. Absolutely. But try eating gingerbread without any kind of ginger in it. You'll spit it out. Really? Spit it out on the ground. <laughs> Uh, it evolved into the Christmas treat we know and love because um, early on it started to be um, known to be something you would serve at a special event. Right. And I guess that dwindled down to the holidays. And then some people got smart and started cutting it out to fun uh, shapes. Yeah. Pretty early on, the medieval bakers, including probably Ms. Katerina the Witch, yeah. um, would cut them into – like if you were having a coronation – you could probably, in Germany, you could find gingerbread cookies in the shape of a king. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Right. And that evolved into Christmassy things, mm-hmm. and it became associated with uh, the holidays. Gingerbread. Thankfully. I really want some gingerbread right now. And then lastly, Chuck, have you ever, did you get oranges as a kid in your stocking? I did, weirdly. Wouldn't you just I it reach was your hand in and be like, oh, this is great. I like this candy. And then your hand would hit that familiar cold, wrinkled skin, and you draw it out and hold it up accusingly to everyone and be like, who did this? Yeah. And your parents would be like, Santa, Santa, it was Santa. And you just glare at them, that kind of thing. And I'd say, I think I saw these in the kitchen yesterday. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It turns out that oranges are actually a longstanding tradition, and they used to be an amazing thing to get in your stocking because until the 1880s, if you lived outside of Florida or California, you were SOL as far as oranges went. Yeah, so it was a special treat, um, which I guess caught on. I don't buy this uh, other theory at all. Um, apparently, they said it may reference in a Christmas tale when St. Nicholas left bags of gold right. in stockings. Sure. Uh, and in place of bags of gold, they put an orange. Hey, uh, you'd think lemon. Yeah, I, a just, lemon I don't buy that. Everybody wants to suck on a lemon on Christmas morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I might be wrong. I could see it. But either way, it became a special Christmas treat that um, somehow endures to this day. Josh, if you know me, then you know I love the movie Elf. 
I suspected that's why you selected this. Do you like it? Yeah, Elf is good. Okay. It's not my favorite. It's a good new classic. Yeah, agreed. It's no Christmas story, but it's good. Yeah. It'll hold up over the decades, I guess. This is a great article that I found called 10 Things You Didn't Know About Elf. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to go over those right now because it's one of my favorite things. Will Ferrell uh, in the classic movie about an elf that is really a human that realizes he's a human and goes to New York City to find his real papa, right. James Kahn. But he's not insane. He actually is an elf in Santa's workshop, which he has to leave to go find himself. Yeah, but he's not really an elf because he's super tall and goofy and everyone, that's the joke. Right. And everyone else is elf size. So uh, if you haven't seen Elf, pause this episode, go watch Elf, and then come back. Yeah, okay? and tell me what the sunlight looks like outside your home because you've been living under a rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, initially, apparently, Chuck, the, the script for Elf is pretty old. I think it was... Originally made in the, like, 2010, 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. Okay. And um, it was actually written in 1993. And back in 1993, Will Ferrell was basically in diapers, even though he was a grown man <laughs> by this time. But the script was initially written for Jim Carrey, or with Jim Carrey in mind, and it was offered to him, and he turned it down. Yeah. Uh, no good, I say. With Jim Carrey being? No way. I can't see anybody but Will Ferrell doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where anytime someone is ultimately cast, you can't picture anyone else. All right. Like, except for Tom Selleck, you could still probably picture as Indiana Jones. Sure. Yeah. Or Christopher Columbus. Huh? He played Columbus. Oh, he did? Did he or did he play King Ferdinand? In the uh, the movie adaptation of 1491, your favorite book? No, it was 1492. Oh, okay. So Jim Carrey out, Will Ferrell in... Uh, classic now because of that. Great move. Sentence fragments. <laughs> uh, Ralphie in A Christmas Story. Um, yeah. Peter Billingsley uh, appears as an elf. Uh, he's buddies with Favreau. He's produced a lot of his movies. Yeah. And there he is, little Ralphie, all grown up. Makes a cameo. So does Ray Harryhausen. He makes a voice cameo. And he, if his name sounds familiar, he was the guy who basically pioneered stop-motion animation in film and motion pictures. Uh-huh. So, like, if you love Clash of the Titans, you loved Ray Harryhausen's work. That's right. And uh, John Favreau uh, very smartly said, you know what? There's a lot of people out there who love those Rankin-Bass Christmas specials, mm-hmm. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and others. And he said, let's have that same look so we can echo uh, that beloved style uh, and it, it really paid off, I think. It's one of the reasons it's such a classic today. Yeah. So he, instead of doing it CGI, which he totally could have, you can make it look stop motion using computers. Uh-huh. He's like, no, nope, I want to shoot it that way. And just as an additional nod, he grabbed Ray Harryhausen and said, why don't you do one of the stop motion polar bear cubs? Yeah. And he voiced it, which is pretty cool. Very cool. And an additional nod was the uh, costumes that the elves wore Mm -hmm. were the exact costume replicas from uh, the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer stop-motion film. Yeah. So another nice little nod to the past. So if you find yourself just like overwhelmed with nostalgia and weeping when you watch Elf, these are probably the reasons why. Uh, What else? Oh, the famous uh, scene, one of my favorites with the -the (laughs) jack-in-the-box when Will Ferrell is testing the -the jack-in-the-box I had to go look it up and watch it. It's pretty great. And <laughs> those were genuine reactions. Apparently, you Favreau... Can, you can tell. Yeah, he wanted Will Ferrell to not know. So he had, even though I think he had the last one rigged to not even be attached to the jack-in-the-box. He had the control off screen. Yeah. And he wanted it uh, to seem like it wasn't going to open at all. So, yeah, in the movie, uh, Will Ferrell's elf... Yeah. What's his name? Buddy. 
buddy is he's he's been relegated to having to test Jack in the boxes for um, the the little clown to come or out. Is it Jack's in the box? Jack's in the box. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Jack's in the box is okay. Um, and he's 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 the tester, the quality control guy. And while when they were filming it, yeah, John Favreau had a remote control. So he had no idea when they were actually going to pop out. And you can tell when you watch it. Like oh, his, yeah. his reactions are... Delightful. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> uh, the huge burp that he has after drinking the uh, two liter of Coke uh, was done by um, uh, a voice from a very popular voice actor named Maurice LaMarche, who voiced everything from Egon on the Real Ghostbusters mm-hmm. to Brain on Animaniacs. And apparently was really good at burping. He's a belching champion. He's a belching champ, like Booger from Better Off Dead. <laughs> and uh, Was it Better Off Dead or Revenge of the Nerds that he burped in? Well, it was Revenge of the Nerds, okay. but he was... He was oh, better in Better Off Dead? Yeah, agreed. This entire mountain is made <laughs> of pure snow. All right, let's go with one more here. Okay. Um, Will Ferrell actually worked as a department store Santa at yeah. one point. Years, not not to train for, or to, oh, he no. wasn't a method actor. Like This was years before when he was with the Groundlings in Los Angeles. That's like Second City, kind of. Sure. Or UCB. Sure. Um, and he and a fellow groundling named Chris Kattan yeah. actually got the same <laughs> gig. Will Ferrell was Santa and Chris Kattan played an elf, and they both ended up on Saturday Night Live together. Can you imagine being in Los <laughs> Angeles and Will Ferrell is your Santa and Chris Kattan is an elf and you have no idea? Right. Yeah. Or, or watching Saturday Night Live five years later and being like, wait, right. wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a second. And Farrell was even offered uh, a boatload of money to do a sequel to Elf. Yeah, like almost $30 million. Yeah, and he said no, which I think is great. Yes. A great move because then you have the untainted classic uh, and like A Christmas Story Part 2, you never have to suffer through something like that. Or Anchorman 2. Ooh. You know? Although a dude who was in our um, TV show was in that. He had a speaking part. Matt, I don't remember his last name, but he played the paramedic in the episode where you get stung by a yeah, bee. Yeah, I know Matt. He's in uh, he's in Anchorman 2, and he has like a little speaking role. Oh, no way, because they shot that here in Atlanta. Yeah, it's great. He does good. I haven't seen Anchorman 2. I avoided it because I didn't want to taint the original. I heard it was so bad. I, I take issue with that. I don't think a sequel can taint the original. The original stands on its own. You know what I mean? Mm, I disagree with it. Okay. I, and I could be wrong. Well, no. It's your opinion. Thank you. So you can't be wrong. That, Chuck. Very Christmassy, wasn't it? That's the Christmas spirit. <laughs> you want to end this thing? Yeah, let's do it. With our traditional reading. Yes. So everybody, if you didn't have the Yule Log going yet or you didn't have the family gather around, if you didn't take Chuck's advice at the beginning, you probably should now. Because it's Woe time. unto you. Yes. Woe. Woe, everybody. It's time for our Christmas reading. And we read all sorts of stuff. We found the most obscure Christmas story of all time written by the guy who wrote Wizard of Oz for last year. Oh, yeah. Um, we've done Twas the Night Before Christmas. We did some story about naked elves a few years back. You remember that? Yeah, we did. Did we do Cobbler? a Gift of the Magi, maybe? Yeah, we read the entire Gift of the Magi. Twas the Night Before Christmas? Yeah. So this time, we are finally, we cannot put it off any longer. We are going We're to going read. We're going to read a selection from the movie Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where the, the word Christmas is used, but out of context. 
Um, that was a good, Chuck. Thanks. We're going to read a very classic letter, a real-life letter, that was written to the New York Sun on September 21st, 1897, by a little girl named Virginia O'Hanlon. And this really happened. Yeah. How about this? I'll read the uh, little girls, and then you can read the response. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? We have to take our roles here. Okay. All right. uh, New York Sun, September 21st, 1897, people. Dear editor, I am eight years old. Some of my little friends say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it's so. What he means is the Sun newspaper, not look directly into the sun, (laughs) because you'll go blind. Mm -hmm. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Signed, Virginia O'Hanlon of... Well, should we read her address? I think she's long gone. <laughs> 115 West 95th Street. Man, if you live at 115 West 95th Street today, you should know that that's a very legendary abode. Yeah. All right. And here was uh, the reply, which was pretty great. This is from the editors of the New York Sun who wrote, We take pleasure in answering, thus prominently, the communication below, expressing at the same time our great gratification that its faithful author is numbered among the friends of the Sun. <clears throat> this was their reply. Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, Virginia, whether they be men's or children's, are little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant, in his intellect as compared with the boundless world about him as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole of truth and knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give your life its greatest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would be the world if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. The external light with which childhood fills the world would be extinguished. Not believe in Santa Claus. You might as well not believe in fairies. You might get your papa to hire men to watch in all the chimneys on Christmas Eve to catch Santa Claus. But even if you did not see Santa coming down, what would that prove? Nobody sees Santa Claus, but that is no sign that there is no Santa Claus. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor men can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not, but that's no proof that they are not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders that are unseen and unseeable in the world. You tear apart the baby's rattle and see what makes a noise inside, but there is a veil covering the unseen world which not the strongest man, nor even the united strength of all the strongest men that ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, poetry, love, romance can push aside that curtain and view and picture the supernal beauty and glory beyond. Is it all real? Ah, Virginia, in all this world there is nothing else real and abiding. No Santa Claus. Thank God he lives and lives forever. A thousand years from now, Virginia, nay, ten times ten thousand years from now, he will continue to make glad the heart of childhood. How about that? Pretty great response. Yeah, slightly scathing at times. Yeah, take that, you little (laughs) non-believing kids. All in the good name of the Christmas spirit. Yep, so in the good name of the Christmas spirit from us, Mm -hmm. Chuck and Josh and Jerry and Noel. 
and Noel, and uh, we'll say from Casey too. Casey, uh, Emily, and Yumi, and Anna. Sure. Nice. Uh, uh, Ruby Rose and Inez. Inez. Yeah. We have we've the added whole, to the, the whole family. family. <laughs> wow, I know it's been a great 2015. It's pretty sweet. Who else? Anybody? I Man. think that's everybody. That's the whole stuff you should know. Family. Uh, my mistress Natasha. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can't forget her. She says hello. <laughs> uh, you. Uh, we want to wish you guys a happy holiday season. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Be safe out there and uh, enjoy each other. And uh, hey, we'll see you again in 2016. Well, we'll see them before then. Wow. Merry Christmas, everybody. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 